Let's turn to the Scriptures now, found in Ecclesiastes 11. And we're reading the first six verses of God's Word. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Men, how many times did it take for you to get up enough courage to ask Uh, that first girlfriend out on a date. Maybe you paced back and forth and you went over the words that you were going to say in your head over and over again and maybe you stood in front of the mirror and you practiced what you were going to say and then game time came and you chickened out. So why did you chicken out? Well, you weren't sure what the outcome would be. You weren't certain of that. You didn't know if she would say yes, and you didn't know if you would live happily ever after. And so the uncertainty of life stopped you in your tracks. Or maybe, ladies, uh, you saw that Mediterranean pizza in the magazine, and you want to make it. You want to try something new in the kitchen, uh, but you don't. Why not? Well... You're not sure if it would turn out right. You don't know if it would taste good when you were done. And so what do you do? Well, you make sloppy joes again, and there's nothing new under the sun, and that describes your menu. Uh, (laughs) That's not where the sermon's going to go. So uh, it... It just shows you that oftentimes when we don't know how life is going to turn out, when we're not certain that our work is going to succeed, we have a tendency not to do anything. And so the businessman will back out of the business deal if he's not absolutely positive that he's going to make a profit on it. And the farmer will leave the field fallow if he doesn't know if he'll make a profit on it. Uh, Most of us are wired that way. We are a little too cautious. We won't witness unless the circumstances are just right. And we won't invite a friend to church unless we know for certain, for sure, that they'll say yes. And if that's you, and I think that's all of us at at least some point, then Koaleth, our teacher, has a word for us tonight, a word for you. And Colath is going to tell us that we shouldn't let life's uncertainties paralyze us. So don't let life's uncertainties paralyze you. Instead, take risks. Don't wait. 
and work hard. So first we're going to see what life is like. And this is going to set up his three pieces of, of advice of take risks, don't wait, and work hard. And work hard. So first, what is life like? Well, he tells us in verses 3 and 5. And so we're going to tr- look at those verses first. Verse 3, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. That's very similar to a phrase that I've heard a lot lately. And it goes like this. It is what it is. And I don't know if that phrase has been a long, around a while, but I've been hearing it a lot lately. And well, what does that mean? It means basically that things are what things are going to be, and there's nothing that I can do about it. You know, if some things are inevitable, if the clouds are full of rain, full of water, it's going to rain. There isn't anything you can do about it. You can't wish it away. You can't pretend it away. You can't invent some machine to make it stop. It's going to rain. It is what it is. And that's life a lot of times. That's what Coaleth is saying. Circumstances, some circumstances are inevitable. Now, he isn't talking about fate, like what a lot of people talk about. Uh, you'll see that in verse 5. All these things uh, are in God's, they're God's handiwork. It's just beyond our control. They're coming to us and we can't do anything about it. We can see it coming a mile away, but there's nothing that we can do to stop life from happening a lot of times. So when I worked at the lumber yard in the lumber business, business was really good for a while. And home builders were building like crazy. They're just building and building and building. And then pop, the housing you know, the housing bubble burst. And then things started to get really interesting. Uh, we were missing our sales quotas. Uh, we weren't getting bonuses anymore. And then they stopped hiring people. And you could see the end coming. The store was going to close. It was just a matter of time. And one event followed another event. And you could see the end getting closer and closer. And it was inevitable. I was going to lose my job. A big hit was coming, and there was nothing that I could do about it. There was nothing that anyone could do about it. I I couldn't make people buy houses. I I couldn't make home builders build houses. I was helpless. And you have been there in your life, haven't you? Where things happen and there is nothing that you can do about it. You know the helplessness you feel. Sometimes life is like that. Certain things are inevitable. Well, Coleth goes on. He says, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it lies, there are in the place where it falls, there it will lie. So the picture is a storm blows through. And, of course, in storms, trees fall down, but they, they don't have any rhyme or reason for the places that they fall. If they fall north, they fall south, there's no rhyme or reason for it. The, this is talking about the randomness of life from our perspective and even the finality of those random events that just happen to us. And we can't control our lives. Random things from our perspective, happen, and we can't do anything about it. So where a tree falls, there it lies. However it falls, 
We can't tell, but there it lies. And so you're driving down the road and you come to a stoplight and you stop and the person behind you comes to the stoplight and doesn't stop and hits you. And you didn't see that coming, did you? That wasn't on your plan. So accidents happen. Bad things happen randomly to people. As, and, and of course, I want to be really clear here. I'm not talking about from the divine perspective. We're just talking about from our point of view. Or here's a more serious example. You have a baby with a rare disease. And you didn't see that coming either. And you couldn't do anything about it. Life, so they say, it threw you a curve. And out of the clear blue sky, your life has suddenly changed drastically. You're doing things that you never thought you would do. You're paying bills that you had never imagined that you would pay. And you're paying insurance premiums like you never thought you would pay. And you spend your time doing things that you never thought you would do. And you can't change it. That's the stuff of our life, isn't it? Certain inevitable events, certain random occurrences. Well, Coleth goes on. He says in verse 5, remember we're talking about what's life like. Well, he explains how life works. It's lived under God's sovereign hand, and you can't know what he's up to. So remember chapter 3. There's a time for everything under the sun. And so God makes everything beautiful in its time, but men cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. And he sounds that same note here. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So what's life like? It's like trying to trace the wind, trying to track the wind. It's trying to understand the path of the wind. Jesus used the same phrase and the same idea when he was talking to Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wants. And he said the Holy Spirit blows where it wants. And we can't tell where the wind is going and we can't tell what the Holy Spirit is up to. Humanly speaking, we cannot trace the wind. We cannot understand how the wind goes. So we're outside and we feel a gust of wind. And if we were to turn around, we couldn't see where it was going. And we don't know where it's going to end up. It's beyond our understanding. And that's what life is like. It comes to us and it's going places that we don't know. Well, life is also like a baby formed in a mother's womb. Now, ancient man had no idea at all how that worked. Uh, and it was a complete mystery. How a baby was formed, how the bones grew, and how, how that worked. They had no idea. And modern man, we have we know a lot more. But to be honest, how life is formed, how life comes to be, and how a baby grows is a process in its complete in its fullness is beyond our the smartest human beings understanding. And that's life. Christian men, Christian women with God given wisdom can't fathom God's purposes in the way that he's governing and ordering the world and the times and the seasons. So why do you have a special needs child? Why does that person rear-end you at the light? Why, did you, why were you chosen to be downsized and the other person wasn't? Why this? Why that? 
Well, God only knows. Life is uncertain from our perspective. And so remember, we are on the underside of God's tapestry. Remember that from chapter 3. He's weaving all of life and all of cre- all creatures and all their actions. He's weaving it together. He's making it beautiful. And But we're on the underside. We can't see the top picture. We can't see what He's making so beautiful. And we see the knots and we see the tangles. And it's beyond our understanding. And so the question is, how should we live? How do you live when life is uncertain? It's unclear. You don't know what's going to happen. Well, the normal human reaction is to give up, to give in, to despair, to grow bitter, or to grow complacent. To say, you know what? It is what it is. And usually when people say that, what they mean is, it doesn't matter what I do, so I'm going to the bar and whatever. But that isn't the Christian's response. That can't be the Christian's response because we're living under the eye of God. We have the fear of God in our hearts. And so it's going to move us. It's going to change the way that we respond to life's uncertainties. And Coleth, our teacher here, is telling us how we should live in, the, in light of life's uncertainties. Instead of giving up, giving in, growing complacent, he says, first of all, take a risk. Take a risk. So look at verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. The verse is very simple grammatically speaking. The the words are easy to understand, but what exactly Coleth is talking about is a totally different matter, and it's very debatable. And I saw four interpretations, and it's not my normal practice to give you these, but um, I want you to see how this can be viewed from different perspectives, and we'll see um, what I think the Bible supports best at the end. Now, the first, and the most unlikely, is this. When Coleth says, cast your bread upon the waters... And after many days, you will find it again. He is saying, and I'm not joking with this interpretation, he is saying, make beer. And so you throw your grain in the water, and it ferments, and after many days, it comes back to you, albeit in a very different form. And so in light of that, what does verse 2 mean? It means take your beer and pass it out to your friends. Pass it out to 7 and to 8, because you don't know what disaster is going to come. And so, you might as well enjoy life. Now, I'm not going to totally rule this one out. Um, Like, if I meet him in heaven and he tells me this is the right answer, I'll be okay with that. Um, Because he does talk about eating and drinking and enjoying life a lot in this book. But I think it's a very iffy interpretation. But anything's possible. The second possible interpretation is simply this. In light of all the uncertainties of life, a lot of times the maybe the thing that would make the most sense if life is so random and you can't help it is to do something that's really completely senseless. So like go to the store, buy your Wonder Bread, throw it in the lake. I mean, who knows what will happen? Something good might come from it. We just don't know. 
Well, that doesn't seem like it fits very well in the passage because Colette doesn't say, you know, something might good come from what happens. He says, after many days, you will find it. You will find it again. And so he isn't saying do reckless things, reckless, senseless things. He is telling us to take vigorous, conscious, decisive action for a reason. That's the second interpretation. Don't really agree with it. The third interpretation. Many commentators favor this one. And it says that Coleth is basically suggesting investing in overseas investments. Um, and <laughs> let, me, let me get there. It doesn't, it's not as crazy as it sounds. So basically in maritime trade. So you have your product. You have your grain in this case. You have what you've made. And he is saying, take a risk with that. Put it into a ship and send it over the waters and see what money you can make. Because after many days, your grain will come back to you. Your money will come back to you. Now, First Kings says that King Solomon had a fleet of trading boats. And every three years, he would load up his boats with all of the produce of Israel, and he would send it overseas. And for three years, then, those ships would make the rounds of all of the coastal areas, and they wouldn't return. So can you imagine not being able to check your investment for three years? So three years, not knowing how your, if your investment was doing well, or if it had been stolen by pirates or sunk in the Mediterranean or the Indian Ocean. And so in light of the difficulties and the dangers of investing your money, he says, well, you should diversify your investments. You should put your grain into seven or eight ships. Divvy up your investment because you don't know what will happen. In other words, don't put all your eggs into one basket. So in this line of interpretation, the point is, what he's teaching us, is that we should invest our money boldly but w- and wisely. Uh, we should do it boldly, and we should also diversify our investments. So we don't buy stock in one company. We buy into a mutual fund where we own stock in a lot of different companies. And there is real wisdom in this, and a lot of people have understood that as coming from this passage. So if you want to make money you're going to need to take risk. But we don't want to be too crazy with our risk. We want to manage the risk by diversifying, by putting our things into different baskets. In other words, mattresses are really safe places to keep your money, but they have a terrible rate of return. And so what you want to do is invest boldly yet wisely. Take a risk with your money. That's the third line of interpretation. The fourth line of interpretation interprets verse 1 as meaning give generously to those who are in need. Give generously to those who are in need. And this is the traditional interpretation. Uh, Jerome, the early church father, believed this. A lot of other church fathers believe this. Matthew Henry agreed with this. And a lot of other commentators as well. And so basically he's saying give to seven or eight. Don't just be a little generous, be very generous. And scholars have found 
an ancient Egyptian proverb that actually sheds some light on this passage, and it gives this fourth interpretation a lot of strength. And this is what the Egyptian proverb reads like, Do a good deed and throw it in the water. When it dries, you will find it. And so, in other words, giving your money to the poor, that looks awfully a lot like giving your, throwing your money down the drain. But it's not. And so don't be a little generous. Be very generous, because you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Generosity has a beautiful way of coming back to repay the generous person. And so he's saying here, take a risk to give to those who are in need, who cannot give, humanly speaking, it doesn't look like there's any way that they can give it back to you. So which interpretation is right? I don't necessarily think we have to choose between the third and the fourth interpretation. I think actually he might want us to hear both and to think about both. Uh, Life is uncertain. So we need to take a risk and invest our money wisely yet boldly, diversifying our investment. And life is uncertain, so take a risk and be generous. Because generosity has a beautiful way of coming back to you. And so in either case, the message of verses 1 and 2 is that you cannot hoard your money. You need to take a risk. You can't let life's uncertainties paralyze you. And that's what happens when we get uncertain. We have a tendency to hoard. We want to keep it in the mattress. We want to keep it safe. And those things aren't wise for a lot of reasons. Now, both interpretations are getting to that same kernel of truth that in light of life's uncertainties, we can't sit sit idly by and just wait and hoard our money. We have to take bold but wise action. And if we do, we will be rewarded. And isn't this what Jesus said? This is Jesus said this many times. Listen to one place. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken, and running over will be poured into your lap. And in that case, he was talking about forgiveness. But this is a universal kingdom principle. And we read it in the, this morning, that if you give up a house, a father, a mother, it will be returned to you a hundred times over. God is going to be no man's debtor. Proverbs says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and He will reward him for what He has done. And Jesus has told us to basically throw away our good deeds too. Not expecting any earthly, having no earthly, humanly expectation of it ever coming back to us. But that's not to say it won't come back to us. Listen to what He says. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. There's no foreseeable way that the poor can pay us back So why do it? Because faith looks past all the earthly and what looks like a complete waste of money and it sees the reward at the resurrection. 
And Koleth is talking about the same thing. We can't let the fears and uncertainties of life keep us from taking risks. So is your common response to life's uncertainties to hoard your money? Then listen to what Koleth and Jesus is saying. Your bread will come back to you. Faith allows us to take those kind of risks. And Jesus encouraged us to risk boldly as we work for the kingdom. We saw a few weeks ago in uh, the parable of the talents that there was one servant who was berated and who was condemned. And it was the servant that was afraid to take action. And so he took his talent and he was afraid of losing it. And so he hid it and he didn't do anything with it. And brothers and sisters, that can't be us. That shouldn't be us. We can't live in fear of life and fear of what might happen. We don't know what will happen. We don't, but God does, and that is enough for us. And so God is in control of it all. God's sovereignty doesn't mean that we don't have to take action. It doesn't mean that uh, from our perspective there might be some danger to what we're doing. But God's sovereignty, it encourages us to step out boldly, wisely, and do something for his kingdom. Because, you know what, when all is said and done, when all everything is said and done, there is no risk for God's people. There's only apparent risk. Because we stand on the firm, rock bottom of God's promises. And so we can be bold for him because we know that he is going to uphold us. We don't need to worry about our security because he is going to take care of that for us. Now, unbeliever, there's another place where you need to cast your bread upon the waters. And it's with your eternal soul. Jesus said, you have to lose your life. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. And so unless you're willing to throw your life onto the waters of Jesus Christ, you will not save it. You will lose it forever. And so you can't sit idly by and do nothing. And you can't say, well, if, if I give my life to Jesus, I'm not, I'm not sure what he's going to do. He might mess it all up. I, I don't know what he'll do with me. He might send me to Sudan or something. And, and, I, and I can't handle that. Well, you can't let fear paralyze you because your everlasting life is at stake. And so throw your life on Jesus, and I tell you, he will save you. Lose, lose yourself and you live. If you protect yourself, you perish. And so I don't say take risk. I don't say risk yourself on Jesus because, you know what, there, in this case, we can't have that language. There is no such thing as risk when it comes to giving yourself to Jesus. Jesus says, all those who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. This, there's no risk. It's all guaranteed. And all who come to me, I receive. And so there's no risk. There's only the promise of God who cannot lie. And he's telling you to come to Jesus and to be saved. So what good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What, what, what good will it do if you, if you hoard forever and ever everything and lose your own soul? 
Jesus said in that passage where he said, you must lose yourself, lose your life. He said, the Son of Man is coming in his Father's glory, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. Jesus is saying, in light of the last day, I am coming. You have to lose yourself if you're going to save yourself. And so what will you do? You have to throw yourself on Jesus. Life is uncertain. Don't let fears paralyze you. Instead, take bold yet wise risks. And then second, life is uncertain, so don't wait. Don't wait. And you see that in verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. So here's our farmer. And he wants to plant. He wants to reap. But he's not sure of the rain. He doesn't want to go out in the rain. So what should he do? So often faced with the uncertainties of life, uh, we try to wait for the perfect time to take action. We don't want to get wet, and so we don't do anything at all. And Cola says, that's, that's just foolish. That's a foolish way to think. It's a foolish way to live. The farmer who's always looking at the clouds, he's always watching the wind, you know what? He's not doing what a farmer's supposed to be doing. Farmers aren't called to watch and to look the wind at the wind and the rain. They're called to plant and they're called to reap. And so what's the point? If we want to get anything done in our life, if we want to be productive, then we can't wait around. We can't wait for the perfect time. We can't try to thread the needle of God's providence and the world's ups and downs. We've just got to get to it sometimes. Now, this doesn't undermine, it doesn't contradict anything of what he said about wisdom and knowing the best time. And the, It's not saying that. It's saying you have to take action at some point. You can't be afraid of life forever. We've just got to get to it. And so, you know what? You might get rained on. That's a fact. You might get rained on. But if you don't do anything, a farmer who does not plant and who does not sow and who does not reap who doesn't do his job but he's always looking at the weather is a farmer that's out of business and going hungry and so don't wait for the perfect time in this case to give to give and if you say well i i just need to get this done and and that done and then when i get through this at the end of the month we'll see what happens and if everything's right i'll give and the problem is with that way of thinking is, you know what? The time will never be right. You know that. If, if you're always putting it off, if you're always saying next month, next month's never going to come. We don't have 100% guarantees in this life. We don't know what's going to happen. Remember, life is full of random events and inevitable circumstances that we can't control. We're in God's hands. And we can't understand what he's doing. And so give now. Don't wait. Take action. And so you can't sit around and wait for the perfect time to act. You simply must get to work. Remember this morning we talked about in the Sunday school, the adult Sunday school, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. And so what are we supposed to be doing? 
Are we, so, are we supposed to be, you know, sticking our finger in the air, testing the winds of providence and time and, and just trying to find the perfect time to act? We're trying to predict God's next move. No, we're supposed to get to it. We're supposed to give ourselves to him now. We're supposed to obey him as completely and as fully as we can now. Life is short and we simply don't have time to wait for time to be the time to be perfect to act because the time is not ever going to be perfect. And so we must act now. And so we can't wait to give and we can't wait for the perfect time. We'll say to witness. Don't say I'll talk to them at a better time. I'll talk to them at a better time. Next time I'll talk to them. Next time will be better. And so while we're waiting for the perfect time to open our mouths and speak. What aren't we doing? Well, we're not sowing and we're not reaping. And I say this to my shame. I've, you know, I test the winds and waiting for a better time. And I should have been sowing the seed. We can't wait around to witness. Perfect time is not going to come. And so we're going to have to do with a lot of imperfect times. Don't wait around to witness and don't be afraid to take bold action in your family, men. Have you been wanting to start a routine, daily time with your family around the Word of God? Have you, started to, have you wanted to start praying with your wife, but the perfect time never comes? Well, stop watching the clouds. Stop looking at the wind and start sowing the seed. Get to it. I mean, the perfect time isn't going to come around, and so you'll have to do with tonight. And the perfect time is not going to come around, so you're going to have to deal, just deal, deal with tomorrow morning. It's not going to be the best time. But if you don't act now, you'll never act. That's what Coleth is saying. Tomorrow is the devil's day. And maybe you've been saying to yourself, you know what, I I really should have start. I know I need to get back to having private devotions. I come here and I it looks like I'm doing well. I talk well, but the truth is my relationship with God is just barely hanging on. I'm suffering. But I'm so busy. Is that is that you? What is Coalesce saying to you? Well, life probably isn't going to get any less busy, is it? Life doesn't have a tendency to do that. And so get up in the morning, pour your coffee, ask Jesus to help you, and get to it. Because tomorrow might be too late. Today is all you have. And what about you? Lost friends. Lost young people. Don't wait around to be saved. Quit saying, when I graduate high school, when I'm a little older, I just need this to happen, I need just that to happen. Really, you're just looking at the wind. You're watching the clouds go by, and you're waiting for the right time, but the best time is now. And the only time you have is now. Yesterday is gone. And tomorrow, Colette has told us it's uncertain. So if you don't have Jesus... God will throw you into hell. So quit standing, quit watching, and start running to Jesus. 
And so pray to Him without ceasing. Call on Him while He is near because there is coming a time when He won't be near anymore. And so life is uncertain. Don't wait. Finally, Coles says third, life is uncertain, so work hard. Work hard. Look at verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning and at the evening. Let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Remember what he just said in, in verse 5, that all of life, it's, it's the work of God. And that's something that he said many times throughout this book. All of life is under God's sovereign control. He's, he's hit that button lots of times. And so what should you do in light of God's sovereignty, in light of the fact that we can't understand what he is doing? Well, what should we do? Give up? Sit by? Don't do anything? Say, well, what does it matter? God's going to do what God's going to do. No. He says, in light of God's sovereignty, it's your responsibility to take action. The Bible never argues against human responsibility with divine sovereignty. The Bible affirms. It says yes to both. So God's sovereignty doesn't undercut your responsibility. God is sovereign, so Coalesce says, you know what that means? You should work twice as hard. The, pers- the proper response is to work all the harder. Sow your seed in the morning and in the evening. Don't let your hands be idle. So life is under, it's uncertain. You can't understand it. And that reality doesn't call us to less work. It calls us to more work. And so you don't know which one of your plans are going to succeed. And so you work hard at all your plans. Because if you don't, nothing will get done. And so the, the fallen human response to life's uncertainties, it is to hoard and it's to procrastinate. And in this case, it's to sit and do nothing. Just do enough to get by. So you put in your eight hours, you put in your ten hours, you go home and then you meld into the couch and you look at the TV. Because what's the point? It is what it is. Whatever happens, happens. And Coles says, no, no, no. That is foolish. That's folly. Wisdom says so in the morning. Wisdom says so in the evening. God calls you to vigorous, conscious action. God calls you to be active, not passive, in the light of life's uncertainties. And so he wants us to live with a purpose. And he's given us lots of things. And it's not my point here to tell you why he's told you to live. But here he's saying, don't let my sovereignty undercut your responsibility. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And so college students, what has God, what field has God put you in? He's put you in the field of classes and schoolwork and work. And He wants you to do that with all of your heart and with all of your strength. That's the field God wants you working in. And so work hard at it. Now, what about you homemakers? Look at your field. It's your husband, it's your children. It's taking care of them, isn't it? 
And that's an important field. That is a really important field that God has put you in. And so are you sowing night and day? Are you sowing good seed? Are you weeding your field? Are you watering the trees that God has put into your life? Or is your orchard, your garden, dying? Have you said, you know what, nothing I do ever works out anyways. It all gets messed up. So what's the point? So forget it. And God here is saying, no, my daughter. No. Don't give up. Work harder because you don't know which one of your good plans is going to work out. But it's surely true that if you don't sow, you won't reap. And what about you? My brothers and sisters, my fellow disciples, are we sowing God's word? You know what? We don't know which seeds will grow and which seeds won't grow. Uh, And so we're called to sow all the more. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus said, you know what? I'm like a farmer and I go out and I sow my seed and some of my seed, it falls on the path and some falls on the rocks and some on the weeds and some of it falls on good soil. The fact that some of it falls on bad soil doesn't keep me from sowing it, sowing more. I sow all the more because I'm not sure. We don't know when our seed will fall on good soil and God will bless it. And so the uncertainty of if our witnessing will work is not, it shouldn't be a call to less sowing. It should be a call to more sowing. But in this case, it's true. It's surely true that if we do not sow, you will not reap. And so what has Coleth told us tonight? He said life is uncertain. And so that means we need to take risks with our money and with our time and with our energy and with our efforts. And we need to not wait. And we need to work hard. And that's how to be wise in God's world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that it would be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that you would encourage us with it, that you would show us Jesus Christ, that you would give us wisdom. Uh, Thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes. It is different than so many other books. And I pray that its message would get into our hearts and would bear fruit so that we would be your children who, who live wisely and who know how to behave ourselves in a world that is confusing and frustrating and so uncertain. Thank you, Father, that behind all the uncertainty of life from our perspective, that your word comes to us and gives us such good promises and tells us to believe. And so we're not floating in an ocean with no bottom, but we, by faith, can walk securely, knowing that you will work out all things for our good. Father, I pray that your sovereignty would not discourage us from working for you, but it would actually encourage us. Encourage us to sow in witnessing. Encourage us to sow in our families. Encourage us to take vigorous action for your sake. Thank you that the work that we do in the Lord is not in vain. 
and you will reward us richly. Thank you that you are that kind of God, so generous. Will you help us not to be um, cold-hearted to that generosity, but live in thanksgiving uh, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.